oh, you know. Did you hear that? We should do an ASMR episode. We're starting it now. Hey y'all, it's Kenyon. And Jerome, welcome back to We Love That. Get your computer because this week we're talking about social media. A bit of a content warning, I say the N-word a couple times in this episode. And you might be wondering like, how do we get from social media to the N-word? Just keep listening. scared i want to call my mom oh my god i love to call my mom stop i love actually your mother calling my mom love actually my phone on do not disturb for my mother inevitably calls me (laughs) excuse me you're all welcome for that noise um hi everyone hey hi we're back we're back you thought that was a one-time thing and it wasn't you thought you'd seen the last of me what's that (laughs) song that Cher sings in burlesque I couldn't tell you. Oh my God. When was the last time you watched Burlesque? I've never seen it. Girl. Are you kidding me? Stop. This is not for. You don't With expose Christina me. With Christina Aguilera and Cher. <laughs> that song is. That song. That movie is incredible. Okay. Okay. But Cher sings some song. You haven't seen The Last of Me. And they always say that Cher has had like a top 10 hit in like the last, you know, five or six decades or something. Because she's an icon. But I think that was the hit for, the, for like the 2000s. I think her but like work, but that I don't think that was a top ten hit. I don't. When people say that, I don't know if they're actually telling the Sherry, truth. Sherry has served a lot of things. Okay, no, believe has been on my <laughs> believe has been on my repeat actually in the last couple of weeks. So. Do you believe? All right. Okay, okay we've got to start great. it. We've got to start it. Um, and we always, as we must start. We oh must no, start. I have a couple things before we. Actually oh, start. oh, okay. So in the last episode, um, oh god, I said, well, I forget what I well, said. You said a lot. I said of something wrong. Um, um, you were talking about a commercial. I was talking about that commercial. That dumb something with for, the. I said I forget who I said it was, but at the end they're like, "Thanks, mom." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, the commercial is actually for Tyson chicken nuggets. I said yeah. it was for someone else. Now I can't even remember what I said it was for. You can't even fact check yourself properly. Well, Tyson chicken nuggets. Come on, go, girl. Thanks, mom. At the end of the commercial. Word. I thought you should know that. I also said that, um, I guess this will, I'm going to switch around these two. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, okay, okay. I have a, <laughs> in our little doc that we talk about these episodes in, um, I have written down Jerome's secret question for Kenya. Which makes me nervous. I'm there's something that nervous. I, <laughs> there's something that I've been wanting to ask you, um, but I wanted to make sure that I had your answer and my reaction recorded. <laughs> I, um, hate <laughs> I hate this. You're being deposed. Oh, no, um, no. <laughs> Have you read the Harry Potter books? No. Oh my God, Kenyon, why? That was the secret question? Yeah, it was, and I'm disappointed in you. That was the secret question, and I'm disappointed that you haven't read the Harry Potter books. Okay. Are you a reader? Do you read? Did you read as a child? I did, actually. You know what series of books I loved? 
Guess. Guess. It's a series. The series of unfortunate Yes, events. girl. <laughs> and I love that. I got every book the day it came out. I read it within hours. Yeah, me too. Because I love reading. Okay? Because reading is what? <laughs> Important. Reading is important. Um, <laughs> this third one is going to transition us into a moment for the world. Last time we were wow. talking about the Barbara Streisand version of A Star is Born, and I said that it was with Robert Redford, and you corrected me that that wasn't true. That yes. was... Um, the way we were. The way we were. Of the uh, way we were. A Star is Born was Barbara Streisand and Chris Christofferson. Work. And I just wanted to follow up on that. Chris. And, and correct myself there. But that segues us into moment for the world. Moment for the world. <laughs> because everyone, a Star is Born just came out. I'd, I'm so excited. Now, I haven't seen it yet. Neither of us have. But at the time of the recording of this podcast, it has only come out in the last 24 hours. And I'm actually going to go see it in four and a half hours. So. <laughs> you better work. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very excited. Some of our very good friends saw it and they're like, um, everything's going to win an Oscar. This is going yeah. to win the Oscar for all of it. Yeah. All the parts. The whole thing is top to bottom. Oscar, not Oscar worthy, Oscar winning. Ah. Um, Lady Gaga's going to win an Oscar, dude. And if she doesn't, I'm, I mean, that's it. You know, the that's racism it for you. was bad. But <laughs> if you don't give Lady Gaga an Oscar, <laughs> then I can't, I can't hang anymore. I can't believe you just said that. Other things that are going on in the world that we live. Oh, my God. Um, in truly the, the world that we live. Um, <laughs> the other day, you know, Bette Midler took to, took to the, the Twitter sphere. And she's talking about the, what's going on in the Supreme Court and with the Senate and Kavanaugh and that whole discussion. And, and I can't even get into that because it's upsetting. I can't. She <laughs> tweeted something thinking she was being so helpful. And you know, we love Bette Midler, I guess, or we used to. Hocus Pocus is good. I love Broadway, you know, I'm here for it. However, <laughs> Bette Midler absolutely canceled herself because she tweeted, quote, women, comma, comma spice, I'm just saying, quote, <laughs> women, comma, are the N word of the world, end quote. She goes on to say, raped, beaten, enslaved, married off, working like dumb animals, denied education and inheritance, enduring the pain and danger of childbirth and life in silence for thousands of years. They are the most disrespected creatures on earth. All right. Now, if you know me at all, you know, <laughs> last, last, the last episode I was hating on the Eagles. I still don't know any Eagles songs. That's actually not true. I went to a Twib concert yesterday and they sang an Eagle song and I knew what it was. Work. Um... But last week I was hating on the Eagles. Now it is revealed that I also don't like the Beatles. I don't like the Beatles. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, part of it is because I think that John Lennon is trash garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> he and his wife at the time, I guess, I, I think, um, Yoko, he and Yoko Ono released this song Ugh. called... Woman is the nigger of the world. That Literally, is that's the, the name title. of the song. Go look it up if you want to hear John Lennon say, Woman is the nigger of the world. Then the next lyrics are, <laughs> Yes, she is. Think, Think about, about it. it. He repeats, Woman is the nigger of the world. Think about it. Do something about it. Thank you so much, John Lennon. We should all be feminists. That's crazy. That is a crazy thing to so even say. Off the bat, <laughs> that's crazy. Because it's like... Also, wait, wait, wait. That's not crazy. I'm trying to, we're trying to use different words. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> Off the bat, that is absolutely ridiculous. Thank you. And by ridiculous, I mean racist. Thank you. <laughs> to be like, 
woman is the nigger of the world, then what? Do you know that there are black people in the world? Like, did you know that? <sighs> like, well, clearly Bette didn't because then she tweets out this <laughs> apology after everyone jumps on top of her. The too brief investigation of allegations against Kavanaugh infuriated me. Angrily, I tweeted without thinking my choice of words would be enraging to black women who doubly suffer. Both Wait, by pause being there. <laughs> pause there. Pause there. How do you not think about that? You because... tweeted the N-word. <laughs> obviously, that is a slur. Like, obviously. So, yes, that would be infuriating to black women who doubly suffer, both by being women and by being black. I am an ally and stand with you, always have, and I apologize. No. It's, uh, it's literally over. The idea, like, women are, are the women of the world. Which is, all, like... And black people are the black people of the world. Why women do we need... are not treated like black people. Women are treated like women. And black people are treated like black people. If woman is the nigger of the world, then what is the black person? And what about black women? I'm literally so sick. <laughs> I'm sick of that. It's the same argument that people use about like, you know, like think about like if you had a sister or a mother or a daughter, like why are you trying to make this as an analogy so that you can feel something for this person? No, look at the state of what they are in the world. Women are the women of the world and that's a problem. You don't need to compare it to some, like screaming. <laughs> we're literally popping off on Bet Midler. I hope she's listening. Ooh. Because she's lost two fans. Anyway, that was our moment for the world. And uh, sorry, I'm tired Bette. of that. Bette Midler, you've got to go. Kenyon, what are we doing today? Today, um, wow, honestly, we touched on exactly what we're doing today. We're talking That's about true. social media. We're talking about um, social we media. We have devised a little game for ourselves. We, we all, we have all, the two of us, <laughs> all of the entire world, meaning me and also Jerome, um, wrote down some questions about the social medias in our lives. Right. And what are we going to do with those questions, Jerome? Well, I wrote them down on little pieces of paper, <laughs> and I put them in this little hat. <laughs> and so Ken and I are going to take turns pulling questions out of this hat that we came up with about social media, uh, and then we're going to answer them. Some of the questions, I hope I'm going to get one of my questions, but I might actually get one of Jerome's questions and then have nothing to say about them because his are boring. So, I mean... They're amazing and beautiful and fun and festive and fierce. Whoo! Anyway, <laughs> before I have to pop off again, <laughs> shut up. Shake up that hat. Um, I'm picking first. If you want to, you got the hat. She's got the look. Here we go. Oh, perfect. Was it your question? No. Ooh. Um, performative allyship <laughs> on the medias and does it do anything? This is Kenyon's question. Amazing question. Dovetailing nicely with Bet, honestly. So I have to answer it now. Yeah, or talk about it. You just give me the, give well, me the hot I'm the hottest gonna... of takes. What I was actually thinking about the other day, I was like, okay, Saturday Night Live, like you th you are making all these you know sketches that are supposed to be very hashtag woke or mm. are supposed to be you know critiquing what's happening in our present day, um, but what what is that actually doing? You know, like Word. if you're telling your, if you're pointing out to your friends, if you're pointing out to people who agree with you, like a hot scathing critique, then I, well, that's nice that, but, but those people already knew that <laughs> those people already <laughs> knew that that was happening. Um, but then I was also thinking about, so I, that might be labeled as a performative allyship. Um, but I was also thinking about um, in the 2008 election, 
Tina Fey like destroyed Sarah Palin. <laughs> like Tina Fey's portrayal of Sarah Palin on Saturday Night Live, like really eradicated her. I mean, like not uniquely and you know independently. Like Sarah Palin was doing much of that for herself. Truly, um, but so like so many people could not take Sarah Palin seriously because of Tina Fey's impression of her on Saturday Night Live. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with social media. It's just something that I was thinking about. Oh, thank you so much for um, participating in this game with us. In thinking about performative allyship. Um, I just think that people should be better. I think that they're like, people often critique, you know, purely social media moments or events. Like I'm thinking like the ALS ice bucket challenge, mm. or I'm thinking, you know, when people most recently when folks have been, you know, they, you change your border on your profile picture to say, you know, stop Kavanaugh. It both is and is not doing something. It Like if it is purely performance on social media, then I think often that's, that's kind of where it stays. If you're not actually engaging with somebody or you're not actually like trying to start a conversation with someone, um, then your performance on social media like stays on that stage if you're not engaging with your audience. Like if it doesn't get into the real world, you mean? Or if you don't like have like a conversation in the comments section? I mean, okay, let's think about like performative, right? Like if you're performing for an audience, then you should be engaging with that audience, I guess. I see what you're saying. Like if you go to a show, then like you as an audience member are a part of the work that's happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're not doing that part of it, if you're not engaging with the audience or you're not having a discussion or starting a conversation or something like that, then it really is just performative and not actually engaging with people, you know? Word. That being said, having more performative actions in the social media realm does change that space. Even if that doesn't, you know, like mm-hmm. if... Everyone on Twitter says, you know, like, go vote. It's, you know, National Register to Vote Day. Yeah. But no one actually goes out and registers to vote. Then, you know. Still a problem. <laughs> we, we haven't <laughs> solved the problem of people voting. But we have created a space that a lot of people inhabit where they are encouraged to vote, which is not nothing. Like, if everyone changes their profile picture to say stop Kavanaugh, that in and of itself does not stop Kavanaugh but like that is not you know senators voting no to him Mm -hmm. but that does create a space where it is normal it is normalized and it is a popular opinion or whatever to like be speaking against him and be speaking against uh, or speaking in support of survivors of sexual assault I see that and I think I I agree with that but to play devil's advocate i feel like the flip side of normalizing something is the shame that is associated with not doing that Mm -hmm. so say you have the space where everyone says register to vote and then no one actually registers to vote so you have not made like a real world impact and also in that space you cannot say actually i didn't register to vote and like still feel comfortable i feel like it it makes that because it's so normalized then it makes it like taboo to go against the norm that we have performed for each other even if it didn't happen for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Even beyond that, like the, okay, everyone's saying register to vote. And then you say, I actually forgot to register or I actually, you know, I'm not able to vote because, you know, voting is not equal for everyone. Um, LOL. There's also the, there's the gap in between. 
I've seen so many Facebook statuses and tweets and things of people saying, you know, a lot of people are being very vocal on social media about this right now. A lot of people can't. A lot of people don't have the space to do that, Mm -hmm. either because they don't feel comfortable doing it, because maybe their abuser is, like, friends with them on Facebook, like, maybe because it just is not something that they have figured out what they want to say about, because they don't want to just throw something out there, like... There are plenty of good reasons to not want to do that performance on social media, but do we have the space for that? Mm. Like if everyone has to be saying this thing, if everyone has to be saying the thing, the hashtag, whatever it is, where do we make space for people to not do that? Yeah. And even have varied experience within that. Right. That's, I didn't think about that last part. Interesting. Do you have anything else to say? About I have nothing else to say. That was your question to answer. Thank you oh, for <laughs> for taking the time. I'm passing you the hat. Ooh, okay, okay. Let's toss it and toss it and mix it and mix it. I don't like sweetener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that in every episode of the podcast. Okay, and I'm grabbing one. And she reads, <laughs> Why do people keep saying Facebook is dead? <laughs> this is also Kenyon's question. And I mean... Maybe it's just that, like, I'm kind of old and a grandpa, and I can't keep up. I just can't keep up. There it is. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, but everybody. Everyone, everyone is like, thank you, Drew. Everyone is like, Facebook is over and canceled and dead, and, like, the it's not growing as fast as it used to be. And, like, I don't post on there. I just, like, I'm there because everyone else is there. But, like, I never post. I never change my profile picture or, like. I don't know. Why do people people keep saying that? I don't know. This is a genuine question for me. <laughs> I guess maybe it's just maybe it's just it's too big. Maybe it's just too big. Like I have what I feel like is too many friends on Facebook to like post something and feel not good about everyone seeing it, but just like it feels like I, there are so many communities that I have represented in the people who could like see the content that I post that it's like, oh, I can't think of a way to like make that accessible to everyone. Hmm. Or because like my day to day is like I'm here at school, I'm living my life with my friends, I'm taking classes, etc. If I post something about that, then like all of my friends from back home, from high school, from camp, my family, like no one's included in that. And I think maybe Facebook has just gotten too big because we've all lived with it for too long that our communities are so they're just too large and disparate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why do people keep saying Facebook is dead? Because the kids aren't using it. I guess that's enough. And I think that I think that's also part of it is that like, I mean, Facebook, as I like, I remember getting a Facebook in the eighth grade and I definitely wasn't allowed to Um, work. I think that part of it was like, okay, you know, we all are out here at middle school every day with our friends, um, but we, you know, have to go home. And so where can we have a space online that is still all of us out here together, having fun together, talking or sharing content or whatever it is. I mean, that kind of is, you know, I don't know what the hell Mark Zuckerberg was up to when he was creating Facebook in the beginning. Wasn't it like a ranking women something? I don't. I'm tired of it. I would not like to know. Um, I feel like part of it. Ew, is that true? Yeah. Stop. I think that was the very original (laughs) intention, but then part of it became, you know, having an online space to be in community with the people that, like, you went to Harvard with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was fun and good when it was like you got Facebook and all of your friends were from this one community. Or it was like, okay, I can keep up with what my friend from camp is doing. Mm -hmm. But then, like, you know, we didn't join Facebook because our parents were on it. 
we didn't join Facebook because like all of our family friends and aunts and uncles and play cousins were all in there. But now everyone really is. So maybe it's because like maybe it's being too big has like lost the community aspect of it. Like it just feels like walking down the street or something like walking down the street. But everyone knows you. That's kind of scary. <laughs> I think I would love that. That's my existence already. Actually. Okay, <laughs> great. <That's> not true. <laughs> and maybe just like video killed the radio star. Like people are on Instagram more. People are on I don't know. Snapchat is also dying dead. I don't know. I think Snapchat is dying. I don't know. Maybe there's just other places that I know nothing about because I'm aged. Hmm. Like a fine wine. Anyway, we're gonna take a break. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Rafi. Sorry to interrupt um, your regularly scheduled programming on We Love That. I was just kind of wanting to chime in um, to say something actually important, which is to vote this Tuesday, November 6th. Um, And I'm just sort of telling you that it is absolutely imperative that you vote. It's a four-letter word, vote. I'm just going to call you out for a second and tell you that I know that you voted for the People's Choice Awards. I know that you picked up your phone and instead of calling your senators, you voted for your favorite contestant on American Idol or even worse, Dancing with the Stars. So I'm just kind of like, that's shocking. It's shocking that you would even think not to vote when you voted for things like that. And I'm also, I'm, I'm speaking to myself too, because I've done that. I was very invested in season five of American Idol. Mandisa was robbed. Really important to vote. Really important to vote. It's the least you can do. I know you didn't call your senators. I know you didn't. So just vote instead and call your senators. Thank you. We're back, and we're going to answer some more questions. Someone's going to have some fun editing this later. Oh. Um, I'm reaching my hand into the hat of questions. <laughs> it's my new single. You can buy it on iTunes and Spotify. Oh, yay. This one's mine. It says Bitmojis. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about them. Okay, this is unfair because I wrote a lot of great, deep, thoughtful questions. Is that true? And now we've got two thoughtful questions from Kenyon and me just saying bitmojis. I love bitmojis, okay? I think they're great. Um, that's all, really. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why do you think they're great? Come on, give me some. Oh, because it, it's they... like a cute little version of yourself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Kenyon Thank you has so a much. bitmoji that looks like um, the character Franklin from Peanuts, Charlie Brown. Um, Franklin is the one black character. <laughs> um, and Kenyon's Bitmoji looks just like Franklin. And to that I say thank you very much. You're welcome. So, Kenyon, how do you feel about Bitmojis? I am new to Bitmoji as well. I just got, I just made mine like two months ago or something. They're fun, I guess. I don't know. It kind of feels weird to like have a small version of myself actually. And be like, that's me as a cartoon. What's going on? Please help me. Oh my God. Fluke is a madman. Help us. <laughs> Save us. <laughs> It's very Lizzie McGuire. That's the truth. And I loved Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> Are you more of a 
Lizzie or a Gordo. I don't know anyone else's. I don't know any Stop. of the character names on that show. I'm for sure. I'm for sure the Gordo. If we're just the two and of I'm us, the and you're, you're so Lizzie. Oh my god. Wow. Okay, that was such a small question. You should do another one. It wasn't a question at all. It just said Bitmojis. Bit <laughs> Everyone should download Bitmoji. It's so fun. Wow. And if Bitmoji like, really is hearing this. Yourself. Sorry, I'm screaming over you. But if Bitmoji is hearing this, um, sponsor us. For sponsors. <laughs> Pay us. Oh, see, here's one of my very thoughtful questions. Is Facebook a monopoly? Are they required to give everyone a voice? Re First Amendment. Hmm. I think the answer is no. <laughs> well, I don't think that they're required to give everyone a voice via the First Amendment. Um, I think the monopoly question is different. Um, to answer the monopoly question, I have a friend who was working at Facebook, um, and I'm not going to expose who it was because I don't know if he was supposed to tell me that this happened. But this friend said that Mark Zuckerberg would do these like Q&A periods every Friday with all the employees of the company, um, and that one of the employees asked, is Facebook a monopoly? Um, and Mark Zuckerberg said no, because Facebook only owns between 7 and 14% of ad space in the world, which is crazy for a number of reasons. First of all, 7 to 14% is a wide range. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, those are very different numbers. 2x. Um, second of all, 14% of ad space in the world is crazy. It's also like, how do you even calculate that? Anyway, but that that's where he's coming from with it. I mean, that kind of makes sense because monopolies are about selling things and Facebook is not something that you pay for. Anyone can be on Facebook for free. Um, the thing that they are selling is ad space. And so no, they don't have a monopoly on the thing that they're selling, but then that incongruity with, you know, are they required to give everyone a voice? Um, if you're thinking about, okay, having a voice to like, or having the freedom to be on the platform and use it and post your own ideas and content and whatever, according to Mark Zuckerberg, that's not what would even, that's not even what they're out here to do. You know, like that's not even their business model. Their business model is to sell ad space. That's crazy. They could like be a successful company, quote unquote, and like not be growing as much or like it's not about the user experience as much as it's about like how much money you can make off of you user seeing an ad yeah i don't i mean obviously like legally facebook is a um is a private company and they do not have to let everyone use it and you know they can make whatever decisions they want to because that's what a private company is allowed to do in this country especially because it is a free service it's not something that you have to pay to use and also it is not like we don't have a constitutional right to use Facebook. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Alex Jones gets banned from Facebook and all of a sudden people are like, you're stifling his free speech. It would need to be proven that, you know, that sharing your thoughts on Facebook is part of our, like, inalienable rights to free speech. Like, if someone were, like, walking down the street with their sign and you said, you can't have this sign out here, like that obviously, I think we all feel comfortable being like that is infringing on free speech mm -hmm. um, to some extent. But if you post that sign on Facebook, Facebook can be like, oop, nope, bye, can't have that on here. And that is not infringing on our free speech. Like legally it's not, but I don't think people feel like it's not. Yeah. Like in terms of like social interaction time, I feel like, like what you're saying, going back to before, like, middle school you want to just continue hanging out with your friends and the way you do that when you're apart is through this thing mm -hmm. just because it's like a different method of accomplishing the same goal doesn't mean that like 
we also then have different rights associated with those different methods. I also interpreted this question as like, do they have a monopoly on social interactions? Well, that's not how we define monopoly. But if it could, like, if it could be proven that being on Facebook is so like integral to our human experience as people living in America or whatever, whatever. I guess that's the the realm that we're that I framed this question in, um, in terms of like First Amendment rights. Um, if Facebook becomes so integral to our experience that you know, not being on Facebook is the equivalent of like not being able to, you know, protest in your town hall or whatever, then, you know, Facebook would have a, a monopoly on social interaction and we would legally be required to let everyone use Facebook. But that's, I don't think that's where we are with Facebook, but also like if that's, if that is where we were with Facebook, our laws don't even give us the power to do that. You know, like the way that Monopoly currently works is not on things that aren't money. You have to be selling something. Yeah. And also like laws that are made for the quote unquote real world and like don't transfer into the virtual space. Mm -hmm. Like what? Like the founding fathers are not here being like, and then when they get the Internet, these laws will apply in this way. Right. Like, we have all these laws on how we can be in public space with one another. And then we have all, we have the internet, which feels like public space because in theory, everyone has free access to it. You know, anyone can make a, can go onto Twitter. Anyone can look at a Facebook page. Um, you just need to have access to the internet. Which there is inequity in that. Like not everyone, right. has, not everyone has access, access to, to that. the internet. Not everyone has a device on which they can access the internet. But we have these online spaces that feel like public space, but are not. Being on Twitter is not being in public space. It's being in Twitter's space. And Twitter is a private company and they can decide what they want to do with that space. Facebook is a private company. Like all of our social media are private companies. And they're not public space, even though they feel like public space, That's which is crazy. kind of crazy. There's an incongruity there. There's like a cognitive dissonance there of like imagining these places to be, you know, free and equitable and anyone can go on there and say their piece. But that's not actually legally what the case is and you know mark zuckerberg and everyone else i guess has been kind enough to basically let anyone say whatever they want to some extent but that truly doesn't have to be the case they could decide you know tomorrow that republicans can't have twitter anymore like donald trump doesn't have to have a twitter yeah that's actually a really that's a really great like case study as in like trump is out here like tweeting things that are like absolutely ridiculous so much so that people are like you know is he out to be like out here like jokingly people are like will he like tweet the nuclear launch codes or like will he just like do something that like starts a real life real world conflict for someone as he just like types into his phone and i feel like someone at twitter has to have been like should we delete this or not because we have the power to like stop him from making quote-unquote rash decisions depending on where you fall on this entire issue but like someone has to have like gone through that of course they, like, moral they have to dilemma be thinking about that every day they someone must someone at twitter must be thinking about that every day anyway good question jerome thank you <laughs> Kenan, pick a question from the hat uh, the hat is running dry <laughs> let me toss the very few things that are left in here and pick one out let's see oh my gosh another one of my questions i can't believe how inequitable this process has been help look i want you to talk about this one too because it's another genuine question of mine okay this is a peek inside of my brain and i wrote just because i know you 
does that mean I owe you anything? Question mark. Managing <laughs> expectations in different relationships. And I guess what I meant by this is just like, I, for all of those who, who tried to interact with me, <laughs> not while I am physically with them, maybe through a, a text message um, or something of that sort. Why'd you look at me when you said text message? <laughs> because I'm just terrible at responding. I'm notoriously bad <laughs> at, at like being prompt in response. And that's something that like people, I guess, value nowadays or something. Or something. But like, I guess the, my question or my thought is like, just because I have at one time known you and at one time gave you the ability to contact me through my address, my email, my whatever, does that mean that I like owe you time whenever you decide to like come to me? That feels like, that feels, the way it at least it feels to me is like, no, I don't owe you anything. Like if I did not like set aside a time to talk to you and you pop into my phone or something and I don't want to talk to you. I'm just not going to talk to you. But then that's like, not, not like, cause like I don't like a person just because like, that's not what I had decided to do. It's like, it's different than like making a coffee date with someone to like sit down and chat, you know, where like you mutually agree on something. But this more feels like someone's like talking to you now. And if you don't respond like in a proper, like timely manner, that it's like disrespecting the relationship or something. And I don't know if I would feel about that. I think that it comes back to this, um, like, so the internet as public space question. Mm. I remember in, in middle school, it used to be like, oh, well, when was the last time he was online? Oh, well, his, his light is green now. And so that means that he's on Facebook. And so I can message him and ask. Um, <laughs> and I remember I used to feel like I had to be on this is like very middle school and high school, early high school. <laughs> but I remember feeling like I had to be, I had to go onto Facebook every night so that if someone messaged me, then I like, it would almost be like my Facebook office hours that it would be like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm online. Now, if you need to talk to me, you know that I'm here. And if you message me, I will respond because I'm online. And then you could like, you could mark yourself as offline. Like you could be on Facebook and then you could set the chat to be offline or like uh, when I was in middle school, everyone had Skype. Yeah. And Skype had the like you were on and you were there and then they had like the away. They had do not disturb. They had just straight up offline. Like they had all these settings. And you know, I loved invisible. I love the invisible setting. Of course. Where you can be on and online and not online. But it is like if I came up to you. And I said, hey, Kenyon, um, did you do the homework last night? And you just didn't respond to me. Like if I said that to you and you just didn't respond to me, then you're ignoring me because I'm standing in front of you and, and you're not answering me. But that is not the same as texting someone and them not responding. And it's very funny that I say this. Because it's very <laughs> funny. Everyone, it's hilarious, actually. <laughs> because I am the one who is constantly texting Kenyon. Um, and then he won't respond and I'll be like, why aren't you responding to me? You are so hateful and rude. Do you hate me? And to be perfectly honest, I think I respond to you faster than I respond to maybe anyone else in my life. Wow. I'm sorry. Everyone else, but it's taken <laughs> Kenyan three years to get back to your text. I just, uh, I, cause it goes along with the second half of my question statement, which I wrote managing expectations in different relationships. I feel like it feels like some people expect different levels of communication from different people. And I think that's great. And along with the different levels of communication, I feel like they also expect like different like engagement or like content, like the, the, the familiarity of your relationship. So like when Jerome texts me, I feel very like, it's like, Oh, it's just Jerome, it's Jerome texting me. And like, I can respond whatever, even if I have nothing to say to what he has said, I could just like type some garbage in 
Oh, great. <laughs> and respond. And that wouldn't be like disrespectful to the space that we have created through our friendship because we're, we see each other so much and we just were around each other all the time and we say crazy things. But I feel like other like less familiar relationships, there's, you know, someone asks you a question. I feel the pressure at least to like their expectation is that I respond with something like good and complete to what they have said, even if I have no response to it at the time. And so I, I feel like kind of caught off guard sometimes, I think. That was what I'm discovering by talking about this here. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, I have nothing to say to that right now. But they want me to respond. But I have nothing to say to that. What's going on? Or even like people will send you a text and email or something. Often if they have like a difficult thing that they want to ask or they have, they're reminding you about something that you're supposed to do for them or like someone has been asking you a question that you've kind of been avoiding. And so if they, you know, text you and ask, then, you know, you have the time to really think through your answer and it's harder to evade or whatever. Um, I mean... Obviously, the opposite could be true that, you know, being in person, it's harder to evade. Anyway, someone like people often text tough questions because it's easier to text them than to ask them in person. And that combined with the idea of, okay, well, we all always have our phones and we're always constantly available via text or Facebook message or call. That creates this situation where, you know, if someone texts you, then you have to respond to this difficult question that they have suddenly thrust into your life. You could be out doing something, exactly like you said, you could be out doing something totally different. I haven't decided to, you know, be in physical space with this person. I haven't said, you know, I'm here to talk to you or we're sharing a moment right now. And so, you know, ask me whatever you want to ask me because we're having lunch or we're in this class together or whatever. All of a sudden that all bars are off. Yeah. And I feel like in the real life example of what you just said, there's something like equalizing and a, and a mutual about it. Like the difficult thing to say or different difficult question. If someone comes to me in real life, they say something that is clearly like they've had to work up to say this and it's difficult. Then like it's, it's putting energy out there in the space. And then I can also respond and it, and I can respond being like, I didn't know you were going to say this, whatever, whatever. But I, I have some space to be imperfect in my answer to that. Like if you put yourself out there, then I have the space to make mistakes in the way that I put myself out there. Does that make any sense? Yeah, like if you text someone, you've written down what you have said and someone can pull that back up later and say, well, here's what you said. And here's what this person said and here's the exact language that they said it to me. But if you're in person, like it is okay to say, you know, oh, I haven't really thought about this. Yeah. I don't know all the information right now. If someone has texted you, then, you know, you can sit down and look up the answer and you can look at your calendar and you can figure out what you want to say and then craft your response that people then can look back and say, okay, here's the record of what was said. That doesn't happen in person. Yeah. And there's like a focus on like the language, on like the words of it in text, where it's more understanding in person. Like you speak so that you understand. Right. Then the other person can understand where you're coming from rather than like, these are the words that she said to me. And if you're in person, you can try a word and oh that actually isn't the way that I wanted to say that um let me rephrase and reframe and reword that and you can do that in text too but it's a little less it's a little more concrete yeah anyway I won't be responding to you all anytime soon (laughs) (laughs) if you want to reach Kenyon don't (laughs) um so that's that moment we did a little social media moment um wow 
we've come to honestly my favorite part of these last two podcasts. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, send it. <laughs> send it. As we all know, send it is the it. Uh, part at the end where we like to just send a little love to someone, something, somewhere out there in a world outside of Yonkers. Thank you. Um, and really what's, what's been texted to me a number of times this week <laughs> that I did respond to immediately um, was from Jerome and it was, do you want to go to Arethusa ice cream? And I said, yes, please take me right away now. Thank you. <laughs> Arethusa ice cream is incredible. Truly incredible. So we're sending it to you. We're sending it to Arethusa. I, I'm a huge fan of their seasonal flavors. The, my favorite summer flavor is peach, okay? It's fruity, it's delicious. Uh, it's got little chunks of frozen peaches in it, which is amazing. They don't currently have it in, uh, you know, scoop in the big tubs that you can scoop and get a, a cone of, but they are in the little, sometimes they're in the little cartons in the Those refrigerator. size goodies. And it's just so good, the peach is so good. But this week, they came, the pumpkin came back. Pumpkin is the fall season, is one of the fall seasonal flavors. Um, they also have a raspberry that is pretty good. But the pumpkin is like, you know, people like to hate on pumpkin spice, but that's because they don't have any joy in their lives. This pumpkin flavored ice cream is incredible. It is fall. It is October. It is November. Also, it is... Work. Tell us more about fall. Autumn. Thank you. It is autumnal. One more. Um... Thank you. <laughs> uh, Thank you. It's just so good. You've got to go. And you're, you love the winter flavor. I love a good rum raisin. I just do. I really do. If you are um, anywhere around me in the December months um, and you want to be kind to me, then you should take me to Arethusa and get me a nice scoop of rum raisin. Okay, tell me more about these December months. You know, you know, those months that are December that kind of constitute the time that is. We're going to move on now. Great. Um, Kenyon, it's been great. It's, it's been, been fantastic. Been fun. <laughs> well, it's been fun, and now it's time to go. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. Thanks for listening. We Love That is brought to you by Jerome Walker and Kenyon Duncan. Special thank you to Rafi Donatich for the PSA. Everyone, be sure to remember to vote. Our amazing music is brought to you into your ears by Sophia Campomore. And our lovely artwork is done by Griffin Keller. Later. Bye. So one thing that I've been thinking about recently is how different election seasons kind of have different slogans um, for, for voting and the importance of voting. For example, rock the vote. For example, voting is sexy. Um, this year, I'm starting a new campaign to ASMR the vote. A